Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. It's Wednesday, July 12th, 2023, and today we're going to be answering three questions we've been hearing from international educators over the last week. And what we'll do each week uh, is take our questions that we ask here on the Roundup from our newsletter that starts on Monday uh, Monday. Monday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, and that newsletter comes out uh, at uh, that time if you're subscribing through our website, and I'll be dropping the link into the chat here for the places where you can get that uh, to, to register if you prefer email inbox uh, delivery of the newsletter. Uh, that will come Monday mornings again, 9 a.m. Eastern. Uh, the alternative is to, uh, to, if you'd like to see this week's edition of the newsletter, I'll drop the link for that as well in the chat, as well as our second way of receiving the newsletter, and that is via our LinkedIn service. So if you uh, prefer to get your international ed news via LinkedIn, uh, you can do so uh, by going to the link for our uh LinkedIn subscription page for the newsletter uh, this week's edition as well. So you can subscribe via that method so that you can uh, see all the news that uh, potentially we cover uh, in question format here on Wednesday afternoons. And the reason for that is uh, we see themes each week <clears throat> that develop from those news stories. We give you our hot takes on those uh, news stories in the newsletter that comes out on Mondays, either via LinkedIn or the website. Uh, the other uh, option is um, uh, from those news stories, we see th these themes develop that kind of coalesce around some questions that we think are, are quite important uh, for, uh, for our leaders our, that follow us, uh, SMIE Consulting, uh, in the industry across international education, uh, not only in the U.S. but around the world. We're grateful for your participation in our uh, chats on the live chats on Wednesdays. But uh, we also uh, appreciate you subscribing to our newsletter, which now reaches over 1,200 individuals around uh, the world. So thank you very much for making the newsletter part of your international edification each week. So as we do each week, we take the news stories that we see develop uh, from in the newsletter, and we look at some th themes that we see developing. And today, we're going to answer the following three questions. Uh, why should we celebrate immigrants and refugees? Where are Chinese students going? And where are your top priorities for recruitment in terms of destination markets in the coming year? So we'll answer those three questions and more today. So let's get right into it. Uh, first question, why should we celebrate immigrants and refugees in the United States? And yes, if you, if you hadn't guessed, it is a rhetorical question. Of course we should. Uh, our nation is a country of immigrants. Uh, we were founded by those who left their home countries uh, to colonize the United States and eventually or colonize the Americas here, uh, this part of uh, British North America. Uh, that uh, at the time in the 18th century, 16th and 17th and 18th century, was seen as a refuge away from uh, a new opportunity from, away from uh, the mother country, but uh, in a new colony. Uh, but uh, soon developed those, uh, those initial uh, feelings of uh, uh, no taxation without representation. And that's uh, led to the American Revolution in 1776 and eventually becoming our own nation after the Treaty of Paris in 1783 
and inaugurating our first president, George Washington, in 1789. So there was a long road, and uh, since then, since our country's founding, immigrant communities uh, have been welcomed in varying degrees of friendliness, uh, depending on where they were from, of course, uh, that impacted that originally. But uh, the, whether from Europe, whether from uh, enslaved peoples that uh, came to the U.S. initially and received freedom uh, afterwards to uh, Native American populations that were here long before us that are part of who we are as a nation now. Uh, as the country expanded, uh, it's uh, from sea to shining sea. Uh, it has been developed in, in waves by immigrants uh, that built the railroads, the, the Irish uh, immigrants uh, and Northern European immigrants that built the railroads from the East Coast, the, the Chinese immigrants that came and settled and helped build the railroads in from the West Coast, and everywhere in between. Uh, we've seen these uh, flows of immigrants, uh, immigrant communities in various waves since uh, the earliest days of the country. And myself, I'm an immigrant. I came to the U.S. at age five. Uh, so I uh, had, a, had a, a British accent at the time, uh, but my father's uh, company at the time transferred him to the U at their U.S. headquarters. And I was an L2 intercompany, trans uh, intercompany transfer dependent when I came to the United States as an international student in kindergarten. So um, immigrants and refugees, we've had stories of refugees the, uh, uh, that have come to the U.S. Over the, over the decades, over the centuries, is extensive. Um, there are, we have been seen, maybe not as much as we used to be, but we had been seen as a shining light, that city on a hill that attracted uh, individuals from all over the world that were trying to escape persecution in their own countries uh, to come to a place where they would be welcomed. Um, maybe at least uh, not initially, uh, depending on where they were coming from, but in the end uh, became important pieces and foundational pieces of our society, of our communities. Uh, from, no matter where you were from in the world, you could come and you could make it in the U.S. And that's that was the... Um, how the Statue of Liberty came to us from the French. Uh, give us our tired, your huddled masses, your poor, your huddled masses that came to the U.S. as, a, as, a, as an escape from the persecution or the economic deprivation they were facing in their home countries. And the past of refugees and immigrants over the years has been spotted one uh, in terms of the way they've been treated uh, in certain periods, and it's never been this completely rosy story for everyone at all. Uh, and certain groups have received certain persecution along the way, by even legislatively. Uh, there are waves of uh, not only immigrants coming to the U.S., but also reactions against that in times uh, when they were seen as, um, for, for in politicians' eyes, as less than, and they were legislated against groups coming from certain uh, countries. Uh, but why do we celebrate them, or should we celebrate them? Because they have gone through so much to get here. And uh, we often, and as American citizens, even though I am one now, um, I don't take for granted my path to become uh, and the privilege I've experienced to be able to get where I am and the opportunities I have today because of uh, the journey that my parents went through and my rights as a U.S. citizen. Uh, I don't take that for granted at all. But certainly as an immigrant, I think that we even see greater value in what the United States can and should represent in the world as a place of a land of opportunity. Uh, where they can come and achieve their own version of the American dream. 
And that's something that's always been held out and seen as a positive uh, why people continue to come in record numbers to the United States, uh, flooding our southern borders, uh, people coming from, uh, for economic migration to uh, uh, trying to escape a persecution uh, from gangs or whatever it might have been in their home countries. So we continue to see these massive flows of immigrants that have come into the United States, some legally, some illegally. Uh, but I've come here for that reason to become, uh, have their piece of, of the American dream. For some, it has taken a long, long time to achieve that dream. Some, it's still pending, even though they've been in the country for decades. Uh, that's part of the challenge of our immigration system. It's clearly broken. Everyone knows it is. But the political will has never coalesced around this topic to do something about it in a substantial and transformative way that can make uh, that the United States once again that shining beacon. Uh, the stories that I'm going to share this week are from that kind of back up what we're talking about here is first a Brookings article called Why Immigrants Are America's Superpower. And it goes into uh, covering a lot of the details of uh, interviews David Dollar, who, who or the interviewer is David Dollar, host of the Brookings Trade podcast, Dollar and Cents. And he's interviewing uh, in this, in this uh, podcast, basically, Wendy Edelberg, senior fellow at the Brookings and director of the Hamilton Project, um, talking about the immigrant experience, early immigrants to, through to today. And it's a really insightful inter inter interview. And I think uh, it, re it reflects a lot of what us in international education talk about all the time in terms of the kinds of people who uh, we see come, wanting to come to the United States to study. Uh, they have the same dreams and p potential for what they want to do and see as their, their, uh, the ability to make the most for their families uh, if the, through their education that they receive here in the U.S. and those that decide that they want to stay and do so legally. Now you see these opportunities really um, uh, that that immigrants and those that come as students that want to become immigrants uh, really have just an incredible incredible benefit to the U.S. in terms of uh, what they what their contributions have been to the founding of our country, to building our buildings, to uh, uh, to populating our our states, to uh, paying their taxes, to becoming. Uh, uh, contributing members to society, all of these things are seen as vastly popular, uh, uh, prominent examples of why immigrants are uh, can and should be treated as well as we, uh, as as I would hope, as as fellow immigrants would hope. So the uh, the second piece, our article that's connected to this, is from the National Foundation. Uh, for American policy. Uh, for those that have uh, followed uh, Stuart Anderson, uh, this is his organization. He re regularly contributes to, the, to Forbes and talks about immigration issues, work visa relations, that type of thing. Uh, and he has a new policy brief out uh, on AI and immigrants and uh, talks has some really fascinating facts in here that 70% of full-time graduate students in fields related to artificial intelligence are international students. 77% uh, of the leading U.S.-based AI companies were founded or co-founded by immigrants or the children of immigrants. Uh, so there's some really great data in this uh, and, and some anecdotal stories of those foreign-born individuals that have come to the United States and are playing now a critical role in development of key 
skills and technologies in AI. Uh, so that's a, uh, another great reason to, to celebrate them. Uh, a third article dealing specifically with refugees is actually a fairly significant uh, landmark in U.S. migration, uh, immigration, refugee policy, uh, frankly, uh, in terms of access to education. Uh, the government has now created uh, this, um, this path uh, to uh, U.S. colleges for refugees that allows, uh, it's backed by the U.S. State Department, will enable qualified students to resettle in the United States, enroll at a participating institution, and obtain legal permanent residency with the opportunity to apply for U.S. citizenship. The program's called Welcome Corps on Campus, and that allows American groups, uh, Americans who privately sponsor refugee students, uh, will allow these uh, Americans uh, to privately sponsor refugee students. This can be through groups or uh, foundations, agencies, all of that. And the effort, according to this Chronicle article, it's meant to provide refugees with two things nearly all of them lack, access to post-secondary education and certainty about where they will live in the future. So it is the first of its kind program in the United States that will allow refugee students to enter the U.S. under, and this is those that are looking to come into the United States that aren't already here as refugees, so uh, that it kind of preempts the F-1. Uh, and it's different from an F-1 visa because obviously refugees fall into a different category. Uh, it's called a, a P-4 category, uh, will enable refugees to stay uh, to stay in the country after completing their studies. Uh, international students attending colleges on F-1 visas uh, don't have aid, federal aid eligibility, and they can only work uh, for a limited duration in their current status, in their student status. So very encouraging to see this happening uh, because uh, it, it, for, those, for those of us who work on campuses who have a heart for refugee communities in their areas, this certainly will pro provide a cleaner pathway for them, particularly if they're, uh, these, uh, obviously this is a new class of refugees coming in that are uh, outside the country looking to come in for, for study in addition to their refugee status. It's a P4 category. Um, so that's, um, that's important for refugees to know that that, that category exists for them uh, if they're at college age and looking to continue their education. Uh, that they have that opportunity. So very encouraging to see that. Another reason to celebrate uh, that um, how the, the kinds of things we can do uh, for uh, the displaced uh, populations in the world. And there are over, uh, at the end of 2022, according to the Chronicle article, there are over 108 million people worldwide that have been forcibly displaced due to conflict, persecution, violence, human rights violations, or other disruptions. So uh, that's an increase of 19 million over the over, the, over 2021. So that uh, that disrupt displaced persons includes more than 35 million refugees, and a lot of those in the last year that are that are not counted in this 2022 number. Actually, there would be some many of these counted in the 2022 number. That largest increase, that 19 million, is, has a lot to do with the war in Ukraine. Uh, so that's uh, certainly. A significant reason for the the number of refugees that are looking to um, that are displaced that 108 million. So we're really uh, encouraged by what the future might mean for populations like these refugees. I'm really encouraged to see that our immigrant populations that are so involved in our tech communities uh, are uh, being recognized uh, for their roles in new tech development like AI. 
and really glad to see that um, there are foundations out there that are, are, are backing uh, pro-immigration policies and supporting what are our traditional roots as a country. Uh, we're a, we are a country of immigrants. Uh, many of my colleagues who work in the profession have either come as international students themselves or have become, uh, become and become citizens eventually or have our first generation in, uh, immigrants themselves that they play a role in, in, in keeping that lit, that torch lit for our immigrant populations that yes, around the world you can still come and you can make a difference. Whether you're an asylee, you're a refugee, you're a, uh, an immigrant, you're an international student, the opportunities are here for you and we have to represent, we have to always advocate uh, for the possibilities for, for students and those that wish to pursue education, whether as refugees, as international students, as immigrants, they have that access to those opportunities. So really excited to, to see that commitment coming from the government to allow this Welcome Corps on campus uh, to, uh, and, and developing some other programs that will protect uh, uh, these, these folks in the, in the, in the most, um, uh, folks that are most susceptible to, to being taken advantage of, to uh, their, uh, they really need the support, they're, uh, they're really in, in, in trouble. Uh, and need, need that kind of support that only uh, our government and our institutions can give. So really encouraged to see that and hopefully uh, those trends continue as we look to, uh, to the future. Now, uh, next question of the day is, uh, what about, where are all the Chinese students going? Uh, and this is, a, this is a question we ask fairly regularly on the Roundup. Uh, not just Chinese students, but every student, because it's it's always a moving target. Uh, 25 years ago, um, China was only sending graduate students abroad uh, that we would receive in the United States. Uh, there was it wasn't even close. I remember in 2003 when I started uh, working at another institution on one-to-one programs with uh, dual degrees in, with partner institutions in China to have undergraduates come do their first year in China, come for their second and third year in the U.S., go back for their fourth year and then receive two degrees, one from the Chinese university, one from the U.S. institution. And at that time, in the early noughties, undergraduate Chinese students were a rarity in the U.S. They soon became, by the mid-teens, mid they became the most, the largest percentage of Chinese students were undergraduate as opposed to graduate uh, that were in the United States. Uh, so it was a, in a, within 10 years, it was a complete sea change in terms of the dynamic of, this, of the uh, Chinese students that were coming to the U.S. Since COVID, uh, actually since the middle of 2015, 2016, we started to see a drop off in the numbers of undergraduate Chinese coming, and that has contributed over uh, over the time over time plus the pandemic to uh, dramatic decrease in the number of Chinese uh, students studying in the United States by a drop off of well over 100,000 in the course of the last five years, uh, five to ten years. So. Post coming out of the pandemic, a lot of universities were hoping for a rebound in their Chinese numbers. Some are seeing it, some are not. Some who have been engaged in China for quite a while have, and had infrastructure, had a ground game in the country, probably are, are, were able to respond quicker uh, coming out of the pandemic than those that weren't. But uh, overall, the number of Chinese students going abroad is about the same but lower, not just to the United States but elsewhere. But what has happened, and certainly in the last 10 years, uh, eight years at least, You've seen uh, the variety of place destinations for Chinese students growing considerably. Uh, we've seen in the past, during the pandemic especially, uh, Chinese uh, 
master's degree students flooded uh, flooded into England and uh, became uh, was were, were in, in enhancing their status as the number one uh, country of origin for international students in the UK. That's starting to slide off a bit too. Their undergraduate numbers also started to slide. Uh, you've seen uh, Australia come out of the pandemic of rebounding well, but not as well as they thought with China. Uh, New Zealand also similarly hasn't been uh, as as uh, open uh, of dialogue as as um, maybe they had ten years ago with China in terms of student flows. So we're seeing some uh, some uh, slow recoveries in certain markets. Canada has grown their Chinese populations, but still India is their number one. Um, so there, there are other destinations where they're going, and where, so where are they going if it's not into the major Western nations for English language training and, and degree studies? And the article that we're sharing now is from uh, an ICEF monitor piece on Chinese students are turning to Asian destinations in greater numbers. Uh, though it's still, it, it, the article does make clear the UK and the US and UK are the, still the top two destinations for Chinese students, that a number of Southeast Asian and East Asian uh, nations are becoming major destinations. Uh, for uh, Korea, for example, is the number one, uh, China is a, uh, Chinese students are their number one population for students studying in, uh, in Korea. Hong Kong, uh, likewise, uh, their number one uh, source of international students are mainland Chinese students. Uh, that <clears throat> you see see some of the numbers that are coming up uh, for um, uh, that Chinese high school students are starting to look abroad as well for for high school education, finishing their high school abroad, as well as K through other K through twelve options. Uh, so we we are seeing a variety of places where Chinese students are going. Uh, the weaker Chinese economy maybe is uh, also coming out of the pandemic. They're still recovering. We saw a lot of signs of that uh, when I was in China a couple weeks ago. Uh, you see that the economies there have not recovered as quickly as they might have. So uh, the spending power of those that might have previously been able to afford a Western education coming out of the pandemic with uh, families were financially impacted by that. Uh, by the restrictions of uh, travel and, and economies within the country. Uh, that has led some families that might have previously been able to afford a Western education start looking more regionally. And there are attractive destinations outside of Korea, outside of Hong Kong, Singapore, Malaysia, Japan, Thailand, are all becoming more popular uh, for Chinese students. So they're, they're diffusing among, around many more countries, but are there's a larger group that are staying closer to home. Uh, so we're seeing that... Uh, that there are some uh, some a uh, recent student uh, New Oriental, uh, one of the larger uh, educational agencies in China, uh, did a survey from December uh, to uh, 22 to February 23. Had almost 10,000 respondents, 78% students, 22% parents. That uh, did share that the U.S. still is is the top destination by uh, by about about three percent over the U.K. Uh, next followed next by uh, Canada, Hong Kong in fourth place, Japan, uh, uh, Japan. Let's see, uh, J Hong Kong, Japan are tied at fifteen percent. Singapore at fourteen percent. Australia at fourteen percent. Uh, Germany at seven. New Zealand at seven. France at seven. So you see the range of countries that where Chinese students are going. Uh, is 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 considering to to change. Uh, at one point in 2019, the U.S. was top with 45 percent, and that's dropped off to 34 percent. So an 11 percent drop in just the last four years. So the percentage of where those where the increases have come, Hong Kong, Japan, Singapore, are the biggest 
uh, increases uh, in attracting Chinese students. So um, in uh, for graduate uh, studies, as I mentioned, U.S. had at one point 150,000 plus uh, Chinese graduate students studying in the U.S. Uh, that those numbers are down considerably. The U.K. is uh, jumped to the top spot for Chinese graduate or postgraduate students, uh, but U.S. remains firmly in number two for, for that area. Uh, so we, um, we are seeing some change, uh, as I said, in terms of where students go. And that, that ties into what we talk about with six Ps of strategic international enrollment management, uh, that first P perspective, having that global perspective and knowing that uh, the students that you're after in China are also not only applying now to the West, uh, they're also applying to Hong Kong, to Japan, to Singapore, other Asian destinations. So uh, there are more cooks in the kitchen trying to get the same students you are. So how you respond to that and uh, show awareness of that in your messaging to these students and talks about the advantages of the U.S., the quality, the post-study work opportunities, uh, the uh, experience, campus experience that uh, doesn't exist elsewhere. All of that are, are, should be the selling points that you talk about, not just your individual institutional selling points, but highlight those as a destination country as well because you have to convince them to come to your country, not just your institution. So uh, oftentimes there can be push and pull factors there, uh, some things that might be pushing them away in our policy department, but other things in terms of the quality of life that they can experience on campus, uh, uh, opportunities for jobs after graduation, all that, that needs to be communicated uh, through, your, through, through your messaging. That's how you keep a hold of market share and don't lose anything further. So uh, Chinese, Chinese students do have many more options, and the quicker we realize this as inst U.S. institutions, uh, the better prepared we are to respond to the kinds of concerns that they might have. Some may still have the safety issues. Some may have uh, the Asian, uh, Asian hate uh, issues that they might have heard stories of and, and maybe have examples of. Uh, you will have to have ways to counter that, and the best way to do that is with student, your current students that are living that positive experience that can share what's happening right now on your campus that aren't just relying on what you say as an admissions officer. Uh, there's, there's, there's authority sometimes in what we say in terms of uh, process, in terms of scholarships, in terms of uh, value and that type of thing. But when it comes to that student piece, uh, as much as we say we take care of our students well, it's when our students can say that for themselves uh, that really the, the benefits of what we do are really shown through and will hit home with uh, intended, in, in, intended prospective students and their families. So where are, uh, we talked about one of the markets that they are going to, uh, China, uh, Chinese students are going to Hong Kong, to the SAR. And one of the, uh, one of Hong Kong's, uh, kind of during the pandemic, the, kind of the breaks were put on uh, expanding their quotas on uh, international students uh, to, uh, to limit uh, them during the pandemic, but now those caps are being changed and that they're going to allow for 24, 25, uh, doubling of uh, the cap on international student commencements. So where the, are their, their enrollments coming from? Primarily from China. Uh, but they're also looking beyond China. Uh, they're looking at Saudi Arabia, Nigeria, and some other key uh, Southeast Asian markets. So uh, there are eight universities uh, improved by about 100 students between 2019, 20, and 21, 22. 65% of those international students were coming from mainland China. Uh, that's uh, right at the end of the pandemic. So uh, there are eight institutions in Hong Kong uh, that 
uh, were limited that to a hard cap of about 20% of their students could be local that were sponsored by uh, fell under the University Grants Committee in Hong Kong. So there, uh, that cap on domestic students now uh, is in terms of spaces that they have uh, that uh, now 80% can come from uh, elsewhere. So that uh, they can admit, uh, yeah, so, so there are some changes coming up and this, uh, there's another ICEF article that I'll drop the link to as well into the chat that talks through uh, the specifics of the Hong Kong uh, challenges in terms of where their students are coming from. I do want to finish quickly with um, a, student a student survey shift, and this is answering the question, where are your recruitment priorities this year? Obviously, everybody's got their own answers to that, but uh, in terms of what other, other universities are saying, uh, we, we saw recently the IIE sp Spring Snapshot Survey uh, of 527 institutions collected between April and May uh, indicated that U.S. educators know that they have uh, to uh, reach out not only to international students abroad but also to ones domestically. So they have uh, an interesting chart uh, of where uh, the top priority countries are domestically uh, for undergraduate or excuse me, top priorities for international students for undergraduate studies and then for graduate studies. So interestingly, and this is the first time I've seen this uh, on on the on the under uh, for both undergrad and grad broken out this way, India now tops the list for both undergraduate recruitment at fifty seven percent and graduate recruitment at 77%. Our you have the U U.S. colleges that responded are targeting India first. Uh, for undergraduates, uh, the next largest market are U.S. international students studying at the high school level. So really good to see that going after low-hanging fruit in the U.S. already, training domestic staffs on how to recruit international students. For uh, after those students, 57% India, 55% U.S. international students in high school here, 48% with Vietnam, then 41% South Korea, 40% Brazil, then China at 39%, uh, and then uh, other U.S. Uh, international students studying at the undergraduate level already. Canada, Japan, Nigeria rounded out the top 10. Now in terms of areas where they're being targeted. At the grad level, India is running away with it, 77%, number one, China number two at 42% than U.S. international students studying at the undergraduate level. Uh, so uh, good to see that. Nigeria and Vietnam were the other countries in the top five that were, uh, were targeted, then South Korea, Brazil, Nepal, Bangladesh, and Canada. So interesting uh, details in that article, so I wanted to share those with you so that you have that uh, in case you're uh, looking for other uh, evidence to show why you should be recruiting in certain destinations, um, destination markets that hopefully will help. Uh, the last thing I'll leave you with is a pat on the back to my good friend Tara, Tara Braun, uh, who had been at Calvin University, has uh, finally, after an extensive vacation in the British Isles and Ireland, uh, has uh, now settled in her new role at Ferris State as the Director of International Education. So uh, congratulations to Tara, and if you see her around at an upcoming conference, uh, she's at Ferris State now, not Calvin University. So uh, congrats to Tara, and we look forward to seeing her and all of you at upcoming events, and hopefully 
Uh, for those that are traveling to India for the IC3 conference, I'll be uh, making my first trip uh, to Hyderabad for this event. I uh, look forward to meeting with, uh, with the IC3 community and movement and my fellow U.S. colleagues as we kick off the fall recruitment uh, in style in Hyderabad this August. So until next week, uh, we look forward to chatting with you again. But until then, have a wonderful day. Cheers.